What will you do when the big one hits? You're visiting San Francisco when suddenly a strange rumbling fills the air and buildings begin to shake. It's a major earthquake. You look around and see an old man pinned to the sidewalk by rubble. You want to help him, but a friend of yours may be in even bigger trouble nearby. Every second counts. What are you going to do? If you decide to help the old man, turn to page 43. If you think your friend needs your help more urgently, turn to page 32. Whatever you do, stay alert. In the aftermath of the quake, a lot of people will need your help, and your bravery could mean the difference between life and death. But if you're not careful, you can be the one who needs saving. What happens next in the story? It all depends on the choices you make. How does the story end? Only you can find out. And the best part is that you can keep reading and rereading until you've had not one, but many incredibly daring experiences. You're the star. 12 exciting endings. Choose Your Own Adventure, book 129, Earthquake, by Allison Gilligan, illustrated by Hal Frank. Welcome to Incredibly Daring, a podcast where we read vintage choose-your-own-adventure books to each other and make generally poor choices. I'm Connie. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jason. This one might be too real. We're um, very like, whoa, on the cover. Yeah, we're very Keanu Reeves. Uh-huh. Circa 1989. Yeah. Oh my God, we are Bill and whoa, Ted. Whoa, we're in an earthquake, man. Wow. That was I bad hate, acid. I hate that picture so much right now. <laughs> Where, where is it supposed to take place? San, San Francisco. Francisco. I don't know uh, what the hell building that's supposed yeah, to, to say, be. It looks very much like it's in like uh, like Baja or something. Yeah. Yeah, the buildings aren't tall enough to be San Francisco. Really it looks like, a, like a Spanish missionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Or a Spanish mission. Maybe this oh. is one of those books where we just go, oh no, we time travel. Oh. It's a time travel earthquake? Yep. Yep. Here's a, here's a, a map. Time, it's a time quake. <laughs> there's a San Andreas fault. Yeah, it's a time quake. That is quite possibly the worst map. Some squiggles and a big black lining. It's very basic. Nice. Hey, the Pacific Ocean is some portion of that map. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Warning! Do not read this book straight through from beginning to end. These pages contain many different adventures that you may have when an earthquake hits while you're visiting San Francisco. A fear I have every time I go to San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. From time to time as you read along, you will be asked to make a choice. Your choice may lead to success or disaster. The adventures you have are the results of your choices. You are responsible because you choose. After you make a choice, follow the instructions to find out what happens to you next. Think carefully before you make a decision. In the aftermath of the quake, San Francisco lies in ruins and danger waits around every corner. Many lives hang in the balance. You may become a hero or you may never make it home alive. Good luck. Oh, I think this is a new illustrator. Yes, we forgot to mention that. I don't really like them. <laughs> oh. It's a very, very different kind of illustrations from what we're used to. Mm. They're very much more like pencil liney. I I don't mind that one. We'll see what the other ones look like. I kind of like that one right now. But, yeah. but we'll see. That one being a couple of people sitting in a, yeah. in a airplane, airplane or train. Or airplane or train, yeah. Oh, it's an airplane. You're seated on a new Boeing 767 bound for San Francisco. You're on your way to visit your best friend, Maxwell McCurt. Growing up together in Vermont, you and Max were inseparable. But a year ago, his father got a job offer in San Francisco, and the McCurts decided to move. 
Max now has a summer internship as a research assistant at the San Francisco Zoological Gardens, otherwise known as the zoo. Sweet. Sweet, yeah. From what he's told you, Max works with all sorts of advanced computer programs to study animal behavior. Well, that's less sweet. You're excited to go and help him out. You're also looking forward to seeing your best friend. This visit will be the first time you've seen him since his family moved. Oh yeah, they didn't have FaceTime back then. <laughs> and now we're into the flight and you happen to glance at a paper the woman sitting next to you is reading. It's titled, On the Breaking Edge of Earthquakes, New Theories in Seismology. You've always been a little curious about earthquakes and since you're heading into the heart of earthquake country, you decide to ask her what seismology is. We're pretty nosy. We're nosy and we... Generally, as a plane passenger. Yeah. And really just always interested in what the other person's reading. That's like, where that's why my headphones go in the second I sit down. Yeah. Like, put your headphones in, put your nose in your own book, and just so, stare straight ahead. Exactly. Do not talk to me. Do not talk. We're a little curious about earthquakes. We don't know what seismology means. Most people understand very little about seismology or seismologists, your seatmate says. The twinkle in her deep blue eyes reveals... Oh, no. Yep. A crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> the twinkle in her deep blue eyes reveals the excitement she has for her work. Seismology is the scientific study of earthquakes. Seismologists are those of us who study quakes and how to predict them. She shakes your hand. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Professor Lynn Bailey, head of the Style Seismology Lab. Now we know two people in San Francisco. You're not sure, but you think you've heard Professor Bailey's name on TV in connection with news reports of recent tremors in and around San Francisco. The tremors worried your parents so much they almost didn't let you take this trip. So the reason San Francisco is prone to earthquakes is because of its location near the San Andreas Fault, you ask her? <laughs> yeah, we're dumb. It's fine. Right, okay, so we're dumb, but it's fine. Our parents almost wouldn't let us go, so we're still... We probably them into it. We're still young. Uh -huh. Young enough for our parents to be able to tell us whether or not we can go. Uh -huh. Our best friend, presumably is about our age, is some sort of a research assistant? Uh-huh. For a summer internship. Oh, uh, summer internship. Still, that's something you would do, like, right before you're getting ready to leave college, or maybe or leave high school, or maybe, like, that summer after high school. Yeah. You know? All right. <laughs> You're well-informed, Professor Bailey says. No, we're not. Obviously <laughs> impressed. Earthquakes occur along geologic fault lines and are caused by subterranean volcanic forces. San Francisco happens to be right on the edge of a continental plate. That's why we saw seismologists flock there. We're all hoping to predict the big one the next earthquake of the magnitude of the famous San Francisco earthquake of 1906. And hopefully we'll get caught in it too. <laughs> Yay. Although, I don't know. Do you think people on the other side of the country know as much about earthquakes as people on this side of the country? Cause I don't know. Did it say where been... we were even coming from? No. No. Oh. Because it's kind of been drilled into us. Like, yeah. like we could be living in New Mexico for all we know, you know. Yeah, or Iowa. I guess we wouldn't really take a plane from New Mexico. Do people from Iowa know how earthquakes work? Well, let, write in to let us know. <laughs> Considering yeah. the source, it's more likely that we came from Vermont. Oh, yeah, that's true. They did say Vermont. Good, oh, good, did good. they? Oh, mm -hmm. didn't, well, I, I was just taking a guess there because no, Ari Montgomery and... Um, Edward Packard and... No, no, no. Oh. Ari Montgomery and Shannon Gilligan and uh, that whole clan are from the Vermont area. Yeah, oh. it says we grew up in Vermont. Good, oh. good, good. Right. So, who knows? Your work sounds pretty exciting, you say. How do you tell if a quake is coming? 
There are two new theories about prediction, Professor Bailey replies. The one I subscribe to measures the emission of radon gas from the Earth. A sudden increase in radon gas signals an earthquake is imminent. And the other, you ask? An old wives' tale, she scoffs. <clears throat> Some new age nutcase, Dr. Farnsworth Orion, got a $2 million grant to study the behavior of zoo animals in order to determine if they get all jittery before a tremor, which they do. It's quite ridiculous, really. What's worse is that Orion is my main rival for the Whitbird Prize. And the sexiest man I've ever met. <laughs> I hate him so. The I'm Whitbird Prize, you ask. <laughs> Farnsworth Orion? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's awesome. Professor Farnsworth. So good. Worst name on the sexiest man. <laughs> With the most run-of-the-mill sort of, yeah, that's kind of how the earthquakes work theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never heard of the radon gas theory. The Whitbird Prize, you ask? It's given to the person in the field making the greatest advances in seismology, she says eagerly. The one who wins it will have the freedom to study and work and travel without ever having to worry about money again. I doubt that. <laughs> For the rest of the trip, Professor Bailey keeps you spellbound with her tales of destruction surrounding recent earthquakes and her methods of predicting them. As the plane is coming, that's a good earth, that's good airplane talk. <laughs> it seems weird that everywhere you go, there's mass destruction. <laughs> it does seem weird. As the plane is coming in for a landing, she says, the Styles Lab is in the Witvik Research Center in San Francisco. If you're interested, I'll be glad to give you and your friend a tour of our facilities. I'd love to visit, you say, because I'm sure our friend did not plan our entire trip. Since Monday is your friend Max's day off, you arrange for the two of you to meet Professor Bailey at the lab on Monday morning. We're in the basement, she explains. <laughs> the what? seismologists are in the basement, which nice. is the worst place to be, I bet. <laughs> We're down there with the IT guys. Close they smell funny. <laughs> <laughs> Closer to the Earth's core, that's our motto, she laughs. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Actually, we've got admissions testing equipment down there with a data collection center on the second floor. We're monitoring radon emissions from five spots in greater San Francisco, 12 spots along the San Andreas Fault, and three along the coast. In the basement. Yeah, the basement seems as good a place as the top of a 20-story building or something. Yeah. You know? like, yeah, both bad. Both bad. <laughs> How's the testing going, you ask, wondering if her radon readings show any signs of coming tremors? It's coming along well, she replies seriously, maybe too well. <sighs> Just then, the wheels of the plane touch down, reminding you... What does that mean? <laughs> it means this earthquake is quiet. <laughs> too quiet. <laughs> it's because there's not an earthquake, dummy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just then, the wheels of the plane touch down, reminding you that you are going to be right on top of the San Andreas Fault for the next month. You hope the readings don't mean an earthquake will hit before you leave. Professor Bailey shakes through your hand and offers you her business card. Wait, she shakes through our hand? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Professor Bailey shakes your hand and offers you her business card. I'll tell you all about my test when you visit, she says, getting out of her seat and heading down the aisle. Bye. Bye. Hope to nice see you before the earthquake hits. Forgot to check the overhead compartment for your luggage. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you, you hear as you enter the terminal building. Your it's her again. <laughs> Your friend Max is running towards you, grinning from ear to ear, looking much thinner than he did a year ago. You haven't gained an ounce, he says, slapping you hard on the back. 
And you, you replace smiling. You've lost a ton. Back oh, in, mm, wow. Where are those kind of friends? He was a chubby kid, mm -hmm. apparently. Back in Vermont, Max was always one of the chubbiest kids in school. Now, although he's still stocky, he's trimmer and more muscular. Almost 30 pounds, he says happily. I've taken up jogging, swimming, and tennis. Needed to have a physique to match the brains. Very Californian, you know. <laughs> you laugh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going home now. Max looks great, and he wasn't kidding about the brains either. He's terrific in science, practically a genius. My He's mom's the best looking, smartest boy you've ever known. Yep. There's too many best looking boys in this book. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's here somewhere, Max declares, searching the crowd. We're going to hop in the car and zoom into town. Dad's meeting us at Zuni Cafe and Grill for dinner. You're going to love this place. Full course Italian. You've got your pasta, your meat, your fish. You grin and shake your head. One thing you've always loved about Max, he may be something of a science nerd, but he sure knows how to appreciate great food. That's why he was the chubbiest kid you knew. Mm -hmm. Over the weekend, Max plays tour guide, showing you the highlights of San Francisco. You visit the fresh seafood stands at Fisherman's Wharf. You take the elevator to the top of Coit Tower, where you look out on Alcatraz, the old prison island where the famous Birdman spent over 50 years behind bars. Lord, that was a long sentence. <laughs> in the elevator, you and Max put on tough faces, pretending to be Clint Eastwood in Escape from Alcatraz. Good for us. That's a reference Yay. that will never get old. Nope. Later, you take a ride on one of the city's famous cable cars, then stroll through Chinatown, where you sample dim sum dumplings. The waiters wheel around carts and yell out the names of the dumplings as they go by. On Sunday morning, you have a great time sailing in the bay on Max's father's new boat. As you're sightseeing, Max's trusty dog, Ollie, is always by your side. Ollie is part Labrador Retriever, part Dalmatian, and quite a character. Part of you suspects Ollie's attentiveness has to do with the fact that Max is always getting him an extra side order of food. But you can also tell that Ollie is a good, loyal friend. On Sunday afternoon, your sightseeing takes you to the San Francisco Marina. Standing outside a fried clam stand near the marina, you feel a sudden, violent shaking beneath your feet. For a second, your knees buckle. You can barely stand. The shaking continues for five seconds and suddenly stops. When you look around, everyone seems calm. Have you imagined it? You look at Ollie, who seems to be shaking slightly. Max pauses between bites of clam strips. An earth tremor, he says nonchalantly. They happen a lot. Poor Ollie goes nuts every time. And yet they still built this city here. <laughs> a tremor, you exclaim. You mean an earthquake? Uh-huh. That's what an earth tremor is. A very minor one, Max explains. You get used to them living out here. It doesn't mean the big ones around the corner, you know. I wonder if Professor Bailey's radon readings just shut up, you say. Her what? Max asks sharply. You tell him about meeting Professor Bailey and give him a brief outline of her work. You didn't tell him before now? Aren't we supposed to go see her tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, hope you didn't have anything planned for your day off. I've heard about her from a guy I work with at the zoo in the research department, says Max. He may seem a little weird at first, but he's really brilliant. He's working on a theory to predict earthquakes by variations in animal behavior. Some animals seem to become restless before tremors hit. It's revolutionary work. He's up for a major grant and... That sexy Dr. Farnsworth. His name's not Orion, Dr. is it? Dr. Orion. You ask, are you talking about the Whitbird Prize? So you've heard of him and the prize, Max says amazed. His work isn't very well known yet, but he's close to making a major breakthrough. Yeah, the girl I met on the plane fucking hates him. Yeah, they're mortal enemies. <laughs> Professor, and a lot of sexual tension. Mm. 
Professor Bailey seems to be on the verge of something big, too, you say. And she said she'd tell us about it tomorrow when we visit her lab. Cool, says Max. I'll bring a spy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dr. Orion talks about Professor Bailey as if she's the enemy. I'd like to see what she's really like. He has some mutual hate. Yep. Later that night, you're lying on the extra bed in Max's room, exhausted from your weekend of sightseeing. But Max is keeping you up talking about Dr. Orion and seismology and about your upcoming visit to Professor Bailey's lab. Max just keeps an extra bed in his room. Yeah, I guess. He has a lot of guests. Maybe it's like a trundle is underneath. As Max is talking, you begin to notice that Ollie is acting strangely. He refuses to lie at the foot of Max's bed. Instead, he's walking around the perimeter of the room. You interrupt Max's monologue. Look at Ollie, you say. Do you think he's okay? Just then, Ollie pauses, turns toward Max, and lets out a big yawn. He's just tired, Max replies, crawling under the covers. Maybe I shouldn't have given him such a large portion of chicken lo mein for dinner. He's trying to kill that dog. Yep. Your dog have some MSG. Yeah. As you're drifting off to sleep, you hear Ollie walking around and around the room. Lo mein, you sigh and pull the pillow over your ears. You wake with a sudden start. The room is completely dark, but you're sure you've heard a strange noise. You hear it again. It's whining and it's coming from the corner. Ollie boy, you whisper, are you okay? You turn on the bedside lamp and watch Ollie with concern. He's pacing back and forth at the other end of the room. He doesn't even look up at you, but continues to whine to himself. Max, you say in a loud whisper. Your friend stirs in his bed and sits up, rubbing his eyes groggily. I think something's wrong with Ollie. You are way more concerned about my dog than I am. <laughs> Go to sleep. He's fine. He's a weirdo. Also, those are similar symptoms that dogs might have right before a seizure comes on. Just mm -hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Max watches Ollie for a second and then jumps out of bed to comfort the dog. Ollie never paces like this, he says. We've got to take him to Dr. Orion for observation first thing tomorrow morning. The zoo's closed on Monday for renovation, but Dr. Orion will probably be there anyway. I think he'll be interested in Ollie's behavior. The way he's been pacing reminds me of the way the Bengal tigers at the zoo have been acting lately. Meaning what, you ask, but you're afraid you already know the answer. Meaning the big one could be just around the corner, Max replies. We don't have any time to waste. We'll just have to go and see your friend Professor Bailey another time. But if a quake is coming, Professor Bailey might be able to tell us exactly when and where, you say. Her radon readings are very precise. Maybe we should go to the lab first and then take Ollie to the zoo if she says it's safe. Let's sleep on it and see how Ollie is in the morning, says Max. Let me know what you want to do then. If you decide to take Ollie to the zoo for Dr. Orion to observe, turn to page 25. If you decide to keep your appointment with Professor Bailey, turn to page 58. Uh, I don't actually care. <laughs> I don't care. I don't really take want him to, to zoo with the other agitated animals or I, take him to the basement. I want to go see the sexy doctor lady because, mm -hmm. number one, she thinks we're smart even though we're clearly not. <laughs> when did she become the sexy doctor lady? Because the They're picture. all sexy in the lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the picture. She, she was, was just some lady in a plane. Yeah, sexy lady in a plane. Yeah, sexy doctor lady. All right. New to me. You're going to go die in this basement then? I would rather go die in the basement than deal with creepy Dr. Farnsworth and his sexy ass. He, I was going to say, he was supposed to be the sexy one. When did he become creepy? They're all, all sexy. They're all sexy. They're all sexy. He's We're in California. Creepy. Then when did he become creepy? Because he's just a creepy dude. His name is Farnsworth. You can be, yeah, see? His name's Farnsworth. You can be creepy and good looking at the same time. I'm not debating that. It's just... <laughs> He wasn't creepy before just now. Oh. 
Well, no, he is. He talks to animals. Yeah. I talk to animals. That's true. Creep. <laughs> okay, so the lady doctor then. Yeah, guess so. The next morning, Ollie seems all right, so you decide to keep your appointment with Professor Bailey. Even if Ollie's behavior has something to do with seismic activity, you think it would be best to see Professor Bailey. Her methods of earthquake prediction seem more reliable than the ones Max has told you Dr. Orion uses. If an earthquake is coming, you figure that Professor Bailey will be the first to know. Let's take Ollie to the lab with us, you say to Max. We'll keep an eye on him there. We can still take him to the zoo later in the afternoon. Okay, Max agrees reluctantly. At 9 o'clock sharp, you, Max, and Ollie step off the elevator at basement level D of the Witvik Research Center. Oh, not just basement, but basement level D. D yeah. That might be better. I think that's four down, if I'm counting right. Yeah. yeah well, we also showed up at nine sharp, so we're that kid. Yeah. I, I would have been there 15 minutes early. I would have been there 15 minutes late. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you ring the buzzer and Professor Bailey opens the door. Right on time, she says in greeting. I like people who are punctual. Hi, you say. This is my friend Max. He works with your arch nemesis. Right. Holly jumps out from behind Max and licks Professor Bailey's hand, wagging his tail wildly. The professor laughs, surprised. Nice to meet you, Professor Bailey, says Max. My dog Ollie has been acting a little strange lately, and we didn't want to leave him alone. I hope it's okay for him to be here. Professor Bailey shakes Max's hand and then Ollie's paw. It's quite all right, Max, she says, but we do have some delicate equipment. Maybe Ollie can wait for you in the hall. Well, he marks his territory. Yeah. The seismology lab is cool and dark. Professor Bailey shows you the seismographs, which measure the Earth's undulatory motions, and the emissographs, which measure radon gas from points all over California. She also introduces you to her colleague, Chamberlain Wurdenberg. Oh, for fuck's sake. A tall, thin woman with flamey red hair and millions of freckles. A what woman? Oh, tall, thin. I heard dolphin for some reason. <laughs> Yes, she's a dolphin woman. She's a dolphin there. woman. Yes, she's a dolphin woman named Chamberlain. This is canon now. <laughs> yes. Chamberlain Wharton, Wharton, you say, stumbling over her name. It's not that hard. My friends well, call we're me. We're not very smart, though. So. That's yeah, true. We are dumb as rocks. My friends call me CW for short. Thank God. She says, gripping your hand tightly. You should, too. She smiles brightly, putting you at ease. I'm not your friend, so no. <laughs> Professor Bailey points to a graph measuring radon in the San Rafael area. She wants to be friends. Mm. I don't befriend dolphins. No. So. For several inches, there are straight lines and then a series of jagged ones. This came in late last night, Professor Bailey says with obvious excitement. What does it mean, Max asks. Means we're all going to die, kid. We're not sure, CW replies. But if our theories about prediction are right, it could mean... Just then, one of the seismograph's needles starts to jump up and down furiously. All four of you run toward the machine. The needle jumps for a few more seconds, then calms down. This one was about a 3.3 on the Richter scale, says Professor Bailey. It was somewhere off the coast, probably about 60 miles out. An earthquake, you ask, swallowing hard? A very minor one, CW replies. They happen all the time. You get used to them out there. How many times are we going to have that conversation? Yeah, right. <laughs> Warhai, I've probably heard that before, you think. Professor Bailey continues the tour of the lab, explaining the function of various machines and their data tracking methodology. All the research is stored on a mainframe computer up on the second floor in the data collection center, she says. Would you like to go up and see it? No. <laughs> yeah. 
I'll telephone Professor Potter to tell him you're friends of mine. He'll show you around. Oh, thank, thank you. <laughs> Cornelius Potter. Yes, hope. Thanking Professor Bailey, you collect Ollie, who is whining once again, and take the elevator up to the lobby. You're heading for the stairs when you stumble. You look down to see what tripped you, and you realize that the floor is moving. Oh no, not another tremor, you call out to Max. You're high as a kite. <laughs> Max yells at you, if you're going to freak out every time there's a tremor, you need to leave. Right. Oh, earthquake, Max screams. He's worried about this one. Oh, all right. How does he know it's not a tremor? I don't know. Because he's native Californian by this point. Yes, he's lived there for six months or whatever. He's lived there for so long, he now can sense the difference. He, so why aren't they doing research into that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He dives for you and pushes you into the doorway of one of the labs. With Ollie cowering between you, you brace yourselves in the doorframe, waiting in terror for the deafening rumble to end. What a good that dog did as a warning system. I right. mean, I didn't listen to the dog. I mean, I guess... Though, if you seem freaking out, what like what are you going to do? <laughs> You're not going to leave. All around you, windows shatter like balloons, burst with pins. The floor seems to be moving up and down, up and down, like turbulent waves of the ocean. That seems creepy. <laughs> My dad's seen that before, and that just... Mm -hmm. Then, as suddenly as it began, the earthquake is over. The rumbling noise stops, and Ollie ceases barking. All is ominously quiet. I guess the quake came earlier than Professor Bailey expected, Max says. We've got to make sure she's all right, you say. Come on, this way. Max and Ollie follow you down the broken concrete stairs to the basement. The hallways are deserted. A backup generator powers a small, dim light overhead. Ooh, now the zombies they're creating in their labs are going to get out. Nice. Maybe they already got out, Max says, hopefully. Ollie sniffs at a heavy metal door and begins barking. Just then you hear a faint call for help from behind the door. Heavy metal. Together, you frantically begin pushing, trying to open it a few inches. Something has fallen behind the door and forced it shut. Professor Bailey, you yell, is that you? You really did a bad job picking a lab space. For a second, there's nothing but silence. Then you hear another cry for help. Come on, Max says, pushing a large metal table from across the hall. You both get behind the table and at the count of three, push with all your might. With a sudden loud crunch of metal, the door swings open two feet. I don't know how that... No, so. you used a metal table as a battering ram? All the I think that's how a battering ram works. The world's <laughs> largest pry bar. <laughs> that's not how a pry bar is working. No, no. Ollie runs inside, still barking. You squeeze through the inner darkness after him. Hello, you call out, hopefully. <laughs> you find him eating faces. <laughs> Over here, a voice calls back. You and Max stumble toward the sound. You bang your shin painfully on what feels like an overturned metal file cabinet. Also not secured in the seismology lab? Yeah. Bad. You grope around in the dark and suddenly a hand grasps yours. It's Professor Bailey. Help me, she says. This fell on me and I can't move. It's your own damn fault for not securing it. With extreme care, you and Max pull the cabinet into a standing position. In the dim light, you can't see the extent of Professor Bailey's injuries, but she's in bad shape. She seems to be on the verge of losing consciousness. We've got to carry Professor Bailey out of here, Max tells you quietly. Yeah, pick her up, move her around. Yeah, exactly. This building won't last much longer if there's an aftershock. No, Professor Bailey says in a harsh whisper. Leave me for the rescue squad. Okay, bye. They'll, they'll find me. I need you both to do something much more important. She's quiet for a moment as she gathers the strength to speak. The I second need you to take this javelin for... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> for what? <laughs> that was the best part. <laughs> the second floor, the data collection center, she gasps. Go there and read the emissographs. This wasn't the big one. This was just a foreshock. Mm -hmm. The emissograph with the highest radon reading will tell you where the big one will hit probably later today. You have to go warn people. I mean... With my huge San Franciscan network of people that I can warn. I mean, you think the whole city would be warned now. <clears throat> and it wouldn't matter where the center was. Everything's going to be affected. Yeah. Professor Bailey, you plead. We can't just leave you. What if they don't find you? What if you just lie here? Never mind me, she commands. The strength in her voice surprises you. We're talking about saving hundreds of people, not just me. Hundreds. Now hurry. Okay, bye. You look at Max, who looks back at you, shaking his head. You've got to do something, and fast. You can leave him, too. If you follow Professor Bailey's plea and go to the Data Collection Center, turn to page 74. If you carry Professor Bailey to safety, turn to page 23. I kind of want to rescue her but that's because yeah. i believe in true love jeremy yeah i know <laughs> yeah i mean we go i okay. mean supposedly things will be fine, be fine. rescue squads yeah. i don't know so because the big one's not going to hit here knock yeah. this thing down she's already made it apparently clear that she does not want to be rescued by you well and and the yeah the other thing is like if we go against her wishes then true love might fail at that point because we didn't listen to her so we should right. listen to i think you're not listening love. to me right now she <laughs> has already made it abundantly clear that she does not want to be rescued by you that you're not the one yeah got it <laughs> okay so we're peacing out then got it <laughs> you bundle up several lab coats and place takes me a while to pick up on those clues sometimes <laughs> You bundle up several lab coats and place them beneath Professor Bailey's head. I would literally rather die. <laughs> than have you touch me. <laughs> there, you say gently. That should make you more comfortable. Ollie nudges her hand and she strokes his nose weakly. We promise, Max says quietly, that as soon as we get outside, we'll send someone right down. I'll be fine, Professor Bailey says. Just hurry. The tone in her voice means business. You follow Max out the door and toward the stairwell. Ollie follows at your heels. You begin climbing upward, picking your way through the rubble and destruction of the quake. All this destruction and is from just a foreshock? You can only hope Professor Bailey's wrong about her prediction. Or hope that she's right so that something interesting happens. Yes. <laughs> you reach the second floor where Professor Bailey's data collection center is located. The exit door is jammed shut by a fallen piece of concrete. They really didn't retrofit this building great. Mm. <laughs> With you... Pushing and Max pulling, you're able to move the concrete off to the side. You run through the door, Max and Ollie two steps behind you. The seismology laboratory is a wreck. Overturned tables and chairs, smashed computer equipment, and broken glass are everywhere. Miraculously, two of the emissographs are still humming away. They must have backup emergency generators up here too, you think. You run to the first one. There's a bunch of small lines with a sudden jolt about the time of the quake, then nothing. Then you begin reading the tape on the second machine. This is it, Max yells. Look! The lines from the second graph are much bigger, with several high peaks following the initial quake. And they're getting bigger, you shout in alarm. Look at the paper coming out now. These lines are all over the place. Ollie barks, sensing your excitement. Max reads the emissograph's location tag. San Rafael, California. That's about 25 miles from here, across the Golden Gate Bridge. From the looks of that graph, we haven't much time, you yelled to him, running toward the stairwell. Once you hit the street, you find a search and rescue team and direct them to Professor Bailey. 
Then you're off on foot with Ollie beside you, racing after Max as he heads toward the waterfront. You're going to go shout it from the waterfront? We're not going to tell the rescue team that probably has radios. Yeah, exactly. That they can call back to headquarters, that they can then expedite this whole fucking warning system. All right, whatever. That's fine. This is clearly the only way to do it. Only way. You reach the waterfront only to find the road blocked off by several police officers standing next to their motorcycles. Tell the police. Frustrated, you try to talk your way past the barricade, but the police won't hear of it. You try to tell them about Professor Bailey's research and the impending danger to San Rafael, but they don't believe you. After listening to you for a few moments, one of the officers humors you by asking where he can get in touch with Professor Bailey to verify your story. You begin to explain that she's unconscious and that you don't know her exact location at the moment. The officers laugh heartily. You can tell they think you're just a couple of kids telling a tall tale. Frustrated, you, Max, and Ollie start to walk away. Suddenly, you spot a motorboat anchored by a fishing pier down below. Psst, you whisper to Max. Down there, the small boat. I could hotwire the engine. It'll take too much time. Apparently, we have skills as boat thieves. Okay. And we don't understand what seismology is? No. But we got street smarts. So we don't need to actually know things. What good is street smarts going to do if you're hotwiring a boat? Well, we are going to maybe survive because we'll be out in the water where nothing can fall on us. There are no streets in the water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you'll really like this other option. Mm -hmm. Okay. It'll take too much time, Max whispers back. Our only option is over there. He motions with his head. We follow his eyes. Jet skis? The cop's motorcycle, you ask? Are you kidding? We could get arrested and land in jail. Who cares about jail, Max asks impatiently. We have to go warn some people about a major earthquake before it strikes. (laughs) Just some random people. (laughs) You've got to decide which plan will get you to San Rafael the fastest, the boat or the motorcycle. If you choose to hotwire the boat, turn to page 54. If you choose to grab a policeman's motorcycle, turn to page 94. It might as well have just said turn to page 94. Yeah, I don't know why we're asked about stealing the cop's motorcycle. We're going to get murdered by these cops. One can hope. You're right, you whisper to Max. Wait, what about the dog? Uh, Fuck him. Yeah, (laughs) apparently we're abandoning him. You're right, you whisper to Max. Let's take the cycle. Maybe maybe there's a motorcycle for the dog, too. Maybe it has a sidecar. Oh, sidecar. <laughs> no. Nice. A full-on motorcycle for the dog. Okay. Oh, that'd be sweet, too. But but now I'm imagining... Who's riding bitch, though? <laughs> oh, well, you're hot-wiring it, so you probably ought to drive oh, it. yeah. No, we No, should. no, you're not hot-wiring it. You're just stealing it. He suggested but still, it. But still, we know how to hot-wire. Why are you so guys he's the bitch. limiting this all to one motorcycle? Oh, With a sidecar. All three of us have <laughs> our own motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. You look around nervously. A woman approaches the police officers and begins to gesture wildly. Yes. When she begins yelling something about trying to find her cat, you make your move. Casually and quietly, you amble over to the motorcycle, hop aboard, and grasp the key. Max is about to climb into the sidecar... Oh. There's a sidecar, All right. which is oh, weird which is for a motorcycle cop. When Ollie leaps in ahead of him and sits there, thumping his tail. boy, Ollie. Looks like you're along for the ride. We were just going to leave you, but... Max jumps on behind you and you race the engine, flying off at lightning speed. In your rearview mirror, you watch the police look up in complete surprise. We did it, Max yells in your ear. <laughs> yeah, we're totally getting away with this. <laughs> 
Hey, where'd you learn how to drive one of these things? Drew Kellett, you yell back, a guy down the street in Vermont. What you fail to add is that you only rode on Drew's motorcycle twice, and only as a passenger. You're a quick learner, and you managed to get on your way with little difficulty. He also taught me how to hotwire things. Yeah. You rev the motorcycle and head north toward the Golden Gate Bridge. When you reach it, you find the bridge in surprisingly good shape. It's also clear of traffic. You zoom ahead. The wind rushes past your ears. It almost sounds like a siren. They're following us, Max yells. Step on it. <laughs> in your rearview mirror, you watch as another police motorcycle begins to gain on you. I hope this one has a sidecar, too. You push the motorcycle as fast as it'll go, but without any luck. The motorcycle behind you is only 20 yards back. With incredible speed, it pulls up on your right. Looking over, you spot the insignia of the San Francisco Police Department. You've been caught. You look up at the officer driving. CW, Max yells. Quick, pull over. Sure enough, CW is the driver. Oh. She stole the bike. She stole a bike too. too. Awesome. <laughs> I love her now. Once you've pulled to a stop, she glides in next to you. Ollie barks in greeting. Well, the professor's dead. <laughs> How did you know where we'd gone? You ask CW as she removes her motorcycle helmet. I caught sight of you running towards the waterfront, she replies. I saw Professor Bailey when they brought her out of the building. She told me about sending you to the data collection center. How's the professor, you ask quietly. She's all mangled. Okay, CW replies. Couple of bad breaks, though. But how did you find us? asks Max. When I saw you hop the motorcycle, she explains, I just grabbed the other. Boy, were the <laughs> cops surprised. <laughs> I'll bet, you reply. At least you'll know your cellmates when they throw you in jail, you think to yourself. Well, where will the big one hit, she asks. San Rafael, you reply. The line's nearly jumped off the graph. With that, you're off. CW in front, you just seconds behind. Max grips your waist in terror. You're flying down the highway at an incredible speed. You're surprised Ollie doesn't fly out of the sidecar. At this rate, you should reach San Rafael in a matter of minutes. Two miles past the Mill Valley exit, CW pulls off to the side of the road. Confused, you stop behind her, keeping your engine on idle. What's up, you shout above the engine's roar. If I'm not mistaken, there's a shortcut up ahead on the left. It should save us about ten minutes, she replies. We used to take it when I was a kid. What do you mean if you're not mistaken? Max asks in doubt. He strokes a shaking ollie. Well, let's just say I'm almost 100% certain that's the way to go, she replies. <laughs> you haven't got much time to waste. A shortcut might get you there faster. On the other hand, if you get lost, you'll never make it in time to warn the people of San Rafael. Maybe you should stay on the main highway. It looks as if CW and Max are divided about what to do. It's up to you to decide. If you decide to take the shortcut, turn to page 50. If you decide to stay on the main highway, turn to page 103. How is the main highway not faster? But... Despite saying that, I want to take this sketchy-ass shortcut. Maybe, like, the main highway, like, goes on for a little bit and then does a hairpin turn and comes back around. Mm -hmm. And the shortcut mm -hmm. just Straight plops shot. right down. Just right. plops right down and cuts, like, a minute and a half off your entire travel time. Okay. Yeah. Shortcut. You good? Sure. All yeah. right. Shortcut. Ten minutes is ten minutes, you announce after a moment's thought. My gut reaction says we should take the shortcut. It's going to cut 10 minutes off our time? Yeah. 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 All right. Better That's than a minute and a half. Pretty good shortcut. Your gut reaction is good enough for me, Max says. Great, CW answers. Follow me. With that, she rows her accelerator and zooms onto the deserted highway. You throw the motorcycle into gear and follow. These police bikes can really move, you shout to Max. About a mile and a half further up Highway 101, CW pulls off onto a rugged dirt road and you do the same. 
The first jolt of dirt nearly throws you to the ground. Ollie begins barking frantically. Thankfully, you recover in time and decrease your speed. You'll have to watch for stones that could send you headfirst over the handlebars, you think. Judging from Max's python grip around your waist, you're certain he's having similar thoughts. The road winds up and down around sharp corners and through heavy vegetation. You struggle to keep CW's motorcycle in view. She really knows how to handle these back roads. I wish Max would have just stayed in the sidecar. Like the yeah, dog? Yeah, with the dog. Yeah. After only a few miles, the rugged roads begin to smooth out. Within minutes, you're approaching a town. A few farmhouses along the way are now replaced with smaller homes placed closer together. The town looks completely untouched by the earthquake. The smoothness of the road allows you to accelerate. Within seconds, you've pulled alongside CW. Which way, you shout. Straight ahead, she yells back. There should be an earthquake alarm at the police station. She picks up speed. You follow. Again, what's the point of that? Like, get somewhere safe? Yeah, it's not you, like you can leave. It's not like a tsunami warning. No, but you sound the earthquake. I mean, if you live in earthquake-centric areas, they probably have, like, shelters, shelters to run to. Mm, designated safe zones, you know. Mm -hmm. Ahead on your right, you spot an official-looking brick building, the city hall and police station. CW pulls off the street and into the parking lot. She doesn't even wait for you to get off your bike. We're pulling up to a police station with stolen yeah, police, on stolen police yeah, bikes to try to convince them to sound their earthquake alarm. San Rafael probably hates San fucks. Francisco's police department. They probably don't get along. Probably. They'll probably laugh. She charges ahead into the building to sound the alarm. You dismount and break into a run after her. Ollie and Max are at your side. Just as you reach the door of the building, a screeching siren perched high atop a pole begins to wail. Oh. And so Dr. Orion called him first. We did nothing. The sound is deafening. No doubt it can be heard for miles surrounding the town. You've made it in time to warn everyone. Oh, she just ran in oh, there and she, Oh, she... So the siren! So we kind of did something, except it was really her. Like, she probably could have made it here without us, too. She what? knew where to go and what shortcuts to take, so... Yeah. yeah. Within seconds, people begin to pour out of buildings, looking confused and disoriented. Although it was our idea to steal the bikes. That's true. With a growing sense of urgency, they head toward the town square. CW and the police chief step outside and watch with you. That shortcut really saved us time, you say to her appreciatively. CW turns to smile. The siren is so loud that you wonder if she heard what you said. Just then, the concrete steps of the city hall begin to shake, faster and faster, throwing you off balance. A loud rumble replaces the sound of the siren. It sounds like a beast from the center of the earth, howling in anger. You struggle to stay on your feet. Ollie huddles against you. You know this is just the beginning. The end. You died in that earthquake. Works for me. Huh. Well, that was interesting. Uh, I liked that one. A lot of weird choices. In that a lot one. of weird, yes. I like the fact that the one of the choices, though, was to steal a police bike. Yeah, that, that was a... That was a good choice. That was kind of exciting. It's a good so, page. I wonder what hot wiring the boat would have done. Yeah. So, I mean, two crimes really mm -hmm. were our only options yeah. for that page. So, uh, I, I give it a soft recommend. I kind of liked it. I mean, uh, also seemed like her writing was a little bit better than her sister mom's. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I'm fine with it. It's not. It's not my favorite book, but it's not bad. I also think that that's her last Choose Your Own Adventure book. Mm. I think she only wrote two. I think just that's... the one. Treasure of the Onyx Dragon. Yeah, I think that was the other one. Mm. So that was 
her best. She's trying to adventure. Yeah. yeah, there we go. <laughs> that works. <laughs> that works. Oh. Okay, well, three recommends. Yep. And we are back to our normal recording schedule next month. Uh, our next episode will be February 7th. Bum, bum, bum. We'll be doing weekly recordings again at that point. Ah. Yay. Perfect. Okay. Well, if you want to learn more about Choose Your Own Adventure, go to CYOA.com. If you want to learn more about us, go to IncrediblyDaring.com. I'm Connie. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jason. The end. The end.